know it's a little controversial, but we don't have a specific scripture reading before this message. Uh, but that's because there are so many different verses that we're going to look at uh, as we consider the topic of angels. Uh, if you've been with us over the past few months, you will know that we're in a sermon series called Living Theology. We're talking about theology, what Christians believe about God and the world and humanity and salvation. And we want this to be living theology because we are convinced that theology is not meant to be something that is stuffy or boring. In fact, it is deeply practical and it's relevant to our lives. Now, we've just finished a number of sermons on who God is. But before we move on and start thinking about humanity and salvation, we want to push pause and think a little more broadly about the spiritual realm, the spiritual world that is unseen to human eyes. I don't know if you've noticed, but our society has become quite obsessed with the spiritual world in recent times. Uh, if you subscribe to a streaming service, you've probably seen the ads for various movies and TV shows. Uh, for example, I've never watched the show called Lucifer, and I don't plan to, but uh, the plot summary on Netflix says this. Bored with being the lord of hell, the devil relocates to Los Angeles, where he opens a nightclub and forms a connection with a homicide detective. Uh, there's another comedy on there called The Good Place, uh, it explores the question of what the afterlife is like uh, and how it is that people might get to heaven. And then, well, there's the steady stream of horror and thriller movies uh, featuring ghosts and haunted houses and demon possession. And then there are lots of new novels being written about the spiritual realm and angels in our daily lives. And then there are those YouTube rabbit holes where you could lose months of your life watching testimonies and conspiracy theories of people's visions and experiences of the spiritual realm. And then there's also our culture's growing interest in the occult, as people seek a version of spiritual experience that moves beyond traditional religion. And I wonder, with all of this out there, for you personally, what do you think about the spiritual world? Do you ignore this stuff as foolish superstition? Or do you consume it casually as a little bit of light-hearted entertainment? Or do you perhaps engage with it in some kind of seeking, thoughtful way, genuinely looking for more? How should we think about the spiritual world? That's important for us as Christians to think about it carefully. It's important for us to know what is true and false, what's wise and what's dangerous. So tonight... We're going to be thinking specifically about angels, and then next time we're going to think about Satan, demons, and spiritual warfare. Angels. Uh, some believe that everyone who dies becomes an angel. Some believe that each of us have our very own guardian angel. Some claim to have seen angels and even spoken with them. And some deny that angels exist at all. How do we work out what's true? Well, as always, we need to turn to the Bible for answers. Only in the Bible can we learn the truth. And it turns out God has a lot to tell us about angels. Uh, we've got three points tonight. We're going to start by asking, who are angels? Then we're going to ask, 
What are they doing? And then lastly, what might this mean for us? So first of all, who are angels? Well, the Bible makes it very clear that angels exist. It doesn't just mention them one or two times in passing. Actually, they're mentioned more than 300 times in the Bible. Who are these angels? What, what are they like? What do we know about them? Well, the first thing we know is that angels were created. Colossians 1.16 says, Through Jesus the Son, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. That reference there to invisible uh, thrones and powers and rulers and authorities in heaven, that's referring to creatures of the spiritual realm, including angels. Psalm 148 also tells us that angels were created. We don't know exactly when. Uh, Genesis 1 doesn't tell us exactly when angels were created, but we presume that it was sometime between day one and day seven when God uh, rested after making everything. How many angels did God create? How many angels are there? Psalm 68 verse 11 says, The chariots of God are tens of thousands and thousands of thousands. I'm not very good at maths, but that's a lot. In Revelation 5 verse 11, John records a vision in which he heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. And I put that in my calculator and it was 100 million. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. Now, I wonder, is this how we picture heaven? God on his throne in the presence of millions, maybe billions of angelic beings all eagerly worshipping and serving him. You know, how big do we think the spiritual realm is? We, we like to talk about the enormity of earth and, and the Milky Way and outer space, but do we realize there is so, so much more than even that? Well, these angels, they're created, but what are they like? And in many ways, that's a difficult question to answer. There's just a lot of complexity that we don't really understand. I mean, for starters, it's a, it's a bit too simplistic to just talk about angels. It's a generic term. It, it just means messenger. But these messengers in the Bible are also called many other things. They're called spirits, heavenly ones, stars, holy ones, the sons of God. They're called ministers, watchers, mighty ones, cherubim and seraphim. They're called an assembly, a council, a congregation and a court. A lot of words for angels. And because of all this, scholar Michael Heiser says, quote, Talk of angels in the Old Testament is both too simplistic and incomplete. We are, of course, accustomed to that term, but it fails to do justice to how an Israelite would have thought about the spiritual world. Why, why shouldn't the spiritual realm have as much complexity and diversity as the physical world that you and I live in? 
And when the New Testament refers to authorities, powers, thrones, forces in the spiritual realms, it's implying that there are all sorts of ranks and categories within the spiritual realm. And we don't know a lot about those different categories and classes, but there are some hints. Uh, Here's some of the hints. A number of times in Scripture, we meet the angel Michael. He's called the archangel, or literally the head angel. Uh, He appears to be a a prince, a warrior who leads God's army against evil forces. Uh, It says in Revelation 12 verse 7 that war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back. We also meet Gabriel. Gabriel seems to be the angel with the special task of delivering and interpreting divine revelations. Uh, He brings a special revelation to Daniel in chapters 8 and 9. He announces the birth of John, the Baptist, to Zacharias. And he announces the birth of Jesus to Mary. And then we're told about other spiritual beings, such as the cherubim and the seraphim. Uh, The cherubim are not chubby babies with wings, uh, as Michelangelo would have you believe. They appear throughout the Old Testament as angels who seem to have the special task of revealing and guarding the holiness and glory of God. Uh, So, for example, they're the ones who guard the entrance to the Garden of Eden with a flaming sword uh, after Adam and Eve's sin. And they are the ones who sit above the ark in the tabernacle and the temple. And then there are the seraphim. Uh, We encountered them a few weeks ago when we looked at Isaiah 6. These six-winged creatures who have the special task of praising God day and night. Okay, so where does this leave us? Let's, Let's recap where we're up to. The Bible makes it clear there is a very real spiritual realm consisting of millions and millions of created spiritual beings. Angel is a simple way of referring to all of those beings, but there is probably a complexity of categories and roles that we don't understand because in his wisdom, God has decided not to reveal that to us in his word. Uh, Is there anything else we could definitely say about these spiritual beings? Well, like we said, they were created in in the beginning along with everything else. We also know that they're immortal, they'll live forever, and that they never marry or have children. Uh, Luke, uh, Jesus says in Luke chapter 20, 35, those humans who are considered worthy of taking part in the age to come and in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage, and they can no longer die, for they are like the angels." Uh, We also know that they're spirits. They don't have physical bodies. We're explicitly told this in Hebrews 1 verse 14 and a number of other passages. And you say, well, don't angels sometimes appear in bodily form? Um, It does seem that God can give them this special ability, sometimes when He wants to, in which humans' eyes are opened to see an angel in some form. We also know that angels are very intelligent. Speaking about when he will come again, Jesus says in Matthew 24 that about that day or hour, no one knows, 
not even the angels in heaven, as if they know an awful lot. And then we also know that angels are moral beings who are capable of obedience or disobedience. Good angels are often referred to in the New Testament with phrases like holy angels, elect angels, or, or angels of light. And then there are fallen evil angels too. And we're going to look at them next time when we look at Satan and his demons. So, we've considered the first question, who are angels? But that leads us, I think, to an even more interesting question, what do they do? Why did God make them? What are they doing right now? First, angels worship God. They are God's dedicated, full-time praise and worship team. Revelation 5, verses 11 to 12. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Praising God is their job. It's what they're called to do in Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. That's the first thing. Second, angels serve God. They are the agents that God uses to do his work. Now, there's so many examples of this in Scripture. Uh, God gave special revelations to Daniel through the angels. The angels announced the birth of John and Jesus. A choir of angels sang to the shepherds when Christ was born, didn't they? Angels cared for Jesus during his temptation in the desert. An angel appeared to Jesus and strengthened him while he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Angels appeared at the empty tomb to announce to the disciples that he's risen. They also appeared to the disciples as Jesus ascended into heaven and said, why are you guys looking up into heaven like a bunch of... <laughs> you know, he's gone and he's coming back. Angels opened the prison doors for the apostles and, and we're told in Matthew 24 that when Jesus returns, God will send his angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. Or 2 Thessalonians 1 says, The Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. And the book of Revelation repeatedly tells us that angels will participate in judging Satan and his demons and all people. So when you put that list together, it's a fairly amazing List of ways that angels serve God, isn't it? Why do you think God designed it that way? Why would our enormously powerful God, who could do it all with the click of his fingers, choose to use angels for all of this? 
I like the way John Piper answers this question. He says that in Scripture we see that, quote, God loves to create an abundance of doers of His will at multiple levels. So it could be the wind and the waves, uh, it could be animals, it could be humans, it could be angels. Piper says God has created an abundance of doers of His will. God didn't need to do this. He doesn't need servants. He'd be just as powerful and mighty if he'd created nothing and existed all on his own. That's true. But isn't his power and his authority on display more fully when we see him surrounded on his throne by millions of angels who are worshipping him day and night and they're doing his bidding with perfect obedience? So the angels worship God, they serve God, uh, and third, they help God's people. Angels help God's people, us. The Bible tells us that angels are absolutely invested in and fascinated by our salvation. They celebrate in heaven when every single sinner repents, Luke 15. They long to look into the mysteries of our salvation, 1 Peter 1. They marvel at God's wisdom, which is revealed in the church, in bringing people from all nations together united in Christ, Ephesians 2 and 3. Perhaps they are so amazed by these things because God's plan of salvation is not for them. It's for us. God has not chosen to save those angels who sinned. We'll look at that next time. That is something He reserves for human beings, those special ones who He made in His own image. You see, it would be easy for us to think that these angelic beings are far greater than us and that we should serve them. And the Bible says it's the other way around. Hebrews 1 verse 14, it's, it's one of the key verses about angels in the Bible. It says, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Isn't that amazing? They're ministering spirits sent to serve us. And then Hebrews 2 goes on to say that although at the moment humans have been made a little lower than the angels, there is a time coming when, Christ will, when God will lift us up with Christ and subject everything under our feet. And 1 Corinthians 6 says we will even have the task of judging the angels. So one of the main things that angels are doing right now is they are serving and helping us, God's people. Psalm 91 verse 11 says, For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Does this mean that each person has a guardian angel? It's a popular view, isn't it? But there's only one Bible verse that hints at that. It's Matthew 18, verse 10, and it says this. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. 
that is, don't despise any other believer. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. Now, there's nothing in this text which suggests that there's one angel for one person. It speaks about angels, plural, caring for little ones or believers, plural. In other words, there is a host of angels and they all work together for the protection of God's people. And in the context, Jesus is saying, you should never look down on any other believer, no matter how unimpressive they might seem, because if God has seen fit to save them and to guard them with his angels, who are you to despise them? Okay, so, what are angels doing? They are worshipping God, they are serving God, and they are specifically helping and protecting his people. Now we want to finish with the question, what does this mean for us? Okay, you've heard a hopefully slightly interesting sermon on angels this afternoon. So what? How should what we've learned tonight impact us? Well, I think there are two extremes that we need to avoid when it comes to the spiritual realm. One, ext- one extreme is ignoring it altogether, and the other is obsessing about it. Some of us ignore the reality of the spiritual world, and honestly, I think I've often been that way. We may never think about angels or demons. Maybe the concept of the spiritual realm isn't even really part of your understanding of reality. Maybe it sounds like something fantastical, something sci-fi, something that only immature Christians would be foolish enough to get caught up in. But there's another extreme too. Some of us think about the spiritual realm a lot. I personally know people for whom the reality of angels and demons dominates the way that they view the world. They claim to be able to see angels and demons above their house during the day engaged in spiritual warfare. And every single triumph or setback in life is linked directly to the activity of those angels and demons. And I think both of these extremes are dangerous. As Christians, we need to acknowledge what is real, but we also need to keep things in perspective. Uh, If you'll allow me a silly example, uh, blue tack is real. Blue tack is real. We shouldn't deny that blue tack exists. We should appreciate blue tack for what it does. It's useful. But if at your house uh, you have a beautiful poster of a sunset attached to your wall with blue tack, it would be odd, wouldn't it, if every time you looked at that beautiful sunset, all you thought was, oh, wow, what amazing blue tack. I just, I just love that blue tack, the way it attaches the poster to the wall so well. Right. You see, it is possible to be more interested in angels and demons than you are in Jesus and the gospel. It's possible to take something secondary and make it primary. You could take the servant, the creature, and worship it, which is precisely the point of Hebrews 1, and it might be worth reading that sometime. Hebrews 1 basically says, sure, angels are great. Jesus is far greater. 
He's the Son. He's the radiance of God's glory. He's the Savior of the world. He's the ruler of all. Focus on Him. And remember that all the angels are only ministering servants, ministering spirits who obey Him and serve us. So with that principle in mind, with that caution, I'm going to finish very quickly with six practical suggestions. First, we should be mindful of angels in our daily lives. Our appreciation of God and His enormity will increase, I think, when we remember that there is a spiritual realm over which He is completely sovereign. We shouldn't pry into the exact activity of His angels and how they might have protected us in this or that. But we can be comforted that the Lord of hosts is with us. Second, we shouldn't pray to angels or look to them for our security. Only God is the all-powerful Lord. He answers prayers. He protects His people. He might use His angels to guard us, but we shouldn't make those angels the source of our comfort. John, in his vision in Revelation 19.10, he goes to worship an angel because he's just so amazed by this angel. And he says, don't do that. Worship God. Third, we shouldn't seek the appearance of angels in our lives. Scripture never suggests we should do this. They're God's servants. They're deployed however He wants, in His timing, in His way. And only occasionally in Scripture does God open a person's eyes to see them. The dominant call in Scripture is to seek God and the filling of His Spirit. Fourth, angels should inspire us in our worship. Don't you think it's encouraging that as we sing this afternoon, we are joining our voices to an enormous, glorious, angelic choir? I think that will make us sing with a bit of extra gusto. Fifth, angels should inspire us in our service of God. Their eternal existence is dedicated to joyful service of Him. They show us that there's no greater prayer and there's no higher calling than your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And sixth and finally, angels should cause us to marvel at our salvation. They are the ones who serve us and long to look into our glorious salvation. I think that's amazing. How humbling to realize the privileges that we have, that we are made in God's image and we are redeemed in Jesus and we are destined to reign with Him over all in the new heavens and the new earth. Let's, let's pray now. Let's join with the angels in worshipping our incredible God. Father God, thank you for the way that your word describes reality, even unseen realities. And we thank you for this overwhelming 
somewhat incomprehensible picture of millions and millions of spiritual creatures who are always in your presence, worshipping you, honouring you, praising you 24 hours a day for eternity, serving you, doing your will, and being used by you to protect us. Lord, all of this shows us a little more of how great you are, of how all-powerful you are, of how worthy you are of all our worship and all our praise and our very lives. So we pray, Lord, that you would help us to think about angels in a way that is wise and biblical and that as we do that, we would be more and more drawn to worship you. We pray this in Jesus' name.